I think I have vocal fry. Do I have vocal fry? Everyone has vocal fry. Oh, good. Is that vocal fry? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Hello, everybody. This is the Bull and the Badger podcast, reaching your ears. <laughs> um, I tried to do something different, and I didn't fail spectacularly, but I don't think I like achieved that much, so it's just mediocre. It was okay. Oh, wait, I forgot to say, this is the podcast where Asian American culture and mental health intersect. If you haven't tuned out yet, <laughs> thank you for sticking around through that introduction. Um, Painful. Yeah, it was kind of painful, right? <laughs> Should I do another? No, you're fine. I want to do something even more painful. <laughs> you're okay. I'm making it more painful by extending <clears throat> this and pointing at it. But um, April, I think we wanted to talk a little bit about things we came to later in life. Um, did, do you want me to start? Well, I, I, I was thinking about this, and this is something that Eric said. No, I don't think he said that on the podcast. I think he just said it. One day when we were having conversation about mm -hmm. how he has this theory that Asian Americans have a delayed adolescence oh. because in high school, we, you know, up through high school, we're just like studying, studying, studying and everything that we see represented as adolescents on like television and films is so far from what we're experiencing because I don't know that reality. You yeah. know, we're in our rooms <laughs> and everyone's supposed to be like having parties and you know, drinking underage and having illicit sex and stuff like that. But that's something that I think for a long time made us blush, you know, I remember being in like group therapy when I was in college mm -hmm. and, you know, everyone goes in the circle and says whatever they're thinking about that particular week. And that's when I it was my first year of college and I was what, 18, something like that. And this one girl, you know, um, was, so this was right after 9-11 because we graduated, um, in 2001 right. and, um, high school and she had had, she started to experience like uh, survivor's guilt. And so, um, I think it was just a hard time for her. It's so weird how much I'm remembering this one girl whose name I don't even know. And she was telling some story about how she was spending the night with one of her friends and then they ended up having sex. And like the second that she said sex, I was like eight years old or something like that. And I visibly gasped <laughs> because that idea was like so crazy for me. Like it was too much for my college freshman brain to apprehend and but I remember feeling so foolish because I'm like, that's probably like, no, that is normal for most people at that age, you know? Mm -hmm. And like, for me, I was like, so scandalized. Not that I was judging her, but it was just like this gut reaction, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, um, those kinds of gasps, they're just, they come straight from your yeah, gut. Exactly. <laughs> and so, and so, you know, having, remembering that, like, and thinking about excuse me, thinking about Eric, like, I, I really do think, obviously this is an extreme overgeneralization, but I think for me, really coming of age and, 
understanding who I was and kind of working all that out, separating myself from, you know, um, my family and their expectations. I think for a lot of Asian people that happens like mid twenties. I want to agree. That's when like you kind of like you're, you're living, you know, that, that directive that your parents have given you, you know, Mm -hmm. until college and through college. And then you have a couple years of working and then it's like, you kind of wait are a questioning second. like, wait, where did all these things get I'm me? I'm an adult Like now. how, how satisfied I am with following that path mm. in my life, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's my, and I, I, you know, I guess just to wrap that up, like, I think that that really holds true for me. Um, I have nothing to follow that with. You don't? No, that was really good. I've, that's like such a <coughs> like accurate assessment. I and I love that Eric said it because, um, you know, like I would love to talk to him about that because, like, I think it happens, you know, differently for guys than for girls too. Because, you know, like it's ex- like so- like society accepts that boys mature like less rapidly than females, and even but even as females, it's like what you know like what you know like i would have gasped too at that story like i remember this moment where i was like we were talking about like doing illegal things in high school and it was like a a sophomore english class and we were just like i was like we can't talk about things that we've done that are illegal right and like someone's like well like what and i was like teeping someone's house and i was like everybody <laughs> laughed at me because it's so absurd like that was the worst thing that i think i could have thought of that i've ever done in my life at as a high school sophomore like that was the worst thing and everyone's like just shaking their head i i don't know it's like you know um like people's like alcohol stories or like all that stuff is like much more delayed and i think part of it like has to do with like growing up you know, in church too, like certain people, certain milestones that people kind of have marked for themselves, like within like a Asian American Christian, you know, um, like background. It's like that happens like way down the line. Cause you're right. like, I don't, I don't even, we're not supposed to say those words out loud. <laughs> and it's like so stupid, you know? Cause, um, I think not that you're trying to like, uh, like prematurely, like, sorry, you're, sorry, I got, I got distracted by me doing the volume. Not that you're trying to, um, age someone prematurely, but you know, like it's, it's, I think it's one of those things where Western and in Eastern culture kind of like, don't, they don't match up. Like, yeah. Even and, when, uh-huh. Sorry. No, no, no. I was just going to say, like, even when we talk about, like, stereotypes of, like, high school movies Mm -hmm. and who those characters were, those never matched up for us at Arcadia High. So I think in a similar kind of fashion, like, these coming-of-age stories are, like, you know, they don't... I I don't know. And and I also think that it has to be a regional thing, you know? It also has to be a class thing. Yeah. Um, You know, we grew up in, you know, an affluent neighborhood, Mm -hmm. and, you know combine that with being Asian American, like, you know, it was a very certain special kind of sheltered, you know, but also, you know, I don't want to look down on that because I think in a lot of ways it was nice, you know, it was nice not having to face like harsh realities of, of like, you know, difficult things that other kids have to, you know, start out with life facing just, you know, not even in high school, but earlier, I think that, 
you know, <clears throat> whenever I talk to people who grew up elsewhere and they told me stories of what people were like, I'm like, oh my gosh, like that's horrible, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so, you know, yeah. like, like everything, there, there are good aspects to it and there are bad aspects to it. I think good aspects, like I'm fortunate that like, you know, I just never got caught up in anything really terrible that, yeah. when I was young and because it just wasn't around me, you know? Right. Um, and bad aspects are sometimes like, you know, you kind of take the blinders off in, in your mid twenties and you're like, mm-hmm. Oh, there are some things that I might've missed out on, or maybe my life trajectory could have been a little different if I had, you know, not been so focused like on this one path, you know, this one like approved path. So, and that is why, what are we calling this episode, Vanessa? Late bloomers. Late bloomers. But if we're going to be honest, most Asian Americans growing up in a specific region and within a certain class and with a certain, you know, parental background. Because, and, and sorry, just to just to add really quickly to that was the the idea, like when you realize that your parents aren't just your parents, like these, you know, these lords of the house, you know, they're they're also like people with faults. You know, and then I felt like a lot of my other friends who had rough backgrounds and like rough upbringings or something like that, like they found out very quickly. So there, that disillusion was very, you know, like mm-hmm. for me, it happened much later in life where I was like, oh, oh okay, <laughs> you know, like, and I was like, must process that, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and, and, but like a lot of people were forced to grow up a lot quicker. But um, I want to bring in our guest. I met sarvi um while i was at ucla and i honestly thought she was a grad student for the longest time but she was actually a grad or undergrad student and um not that that matters but you know that's how we met through documentary and i think um she had a really fascinating project which um i don't know at what stage it it currently is at but it was about um this really famous theater director uh reza right Mm -hmm. i don't know his full name but reza abdo yeah and he i mean the the stuff he was doing was fascinating and I immediately knew Sarvi was a theater kid and thus was someone who I could talk to. How did you know? <laughs> because I, well, cause he's a theater director, but I, it seemed that she was very steeped in that world and like what those things were and all that stuff kind of fascinates me. And, and I'm like, it's as if like, all my secret dreams to be a librarian. I also had secret dreams to be like a theater kid. <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with me. That's why I'm like, sometimes when I talk to John, I just want to talk to him about theater and just mm-hmm. learn all the things. But, um, we're talking about Sarvi now. So, um, let's see what else, what else do I know about Sarvi? Sarvi has, um, a beautiful daughter and a wonderful husband. And, um, you know, she's, she's taking out time from being with them to be with us. And, um, I'm really bad at introductions, I just realized. I think I need to work on it. I think I need to have post, post-it post notes in front of me that kind of like, like, you know, like late time I think time the post. key is to just move on. Oh, like keep, keep talking? <laughs> or maybe I should just have her at this point introduce herself. That would, That's a great idea. Let's do it. Hi. Hi, Sarvi. Hi. Can you, can you um, just, you know, describe yourself uh, for our audience? And, um, and then we'll, we'll kind of jump into like what, what the topic is about. Sure. Um, you know, I am Iranian, Iranian American. Both my parents are Iranian, but um, I've lived here for most of my life since I was two or so, and all in LA, all over LA. Oh, fact. wow. Yeah. I didn't realize you're an LA native. 
Mm-hmm. You, f- I feel like I feel like you've spent time in Europe. Like I just I just consider you like a person <laughs> of the world. I've I've gone to vacation, <laughs> but no, I haven't I haven't ever lived anywhere other than here, really. Mm. Um, what part of LA may I ask? Almost every part of LA. Really? I've gone to let's see something like six or seven different schools up until high school. Oh wow! We moved quite a bit within yeah. LA. Um, high school was mostly in the valley. Mm. I'm sorry. Yes, you should be. <laughs> it was very, it was very painful oh, to no. go to high school oh, no. in, in the valley. We were we were so conscious of how uncool it was, as Aww. though, you know, a bunch of uh, pimply teenagers were going to be really really cool if we had only lived somewhere <laughs> else. Like then it would have been different. Something. Yes, oh, you know, our hair might have been less geometric, <laughs> bowl bowl shaped. Um, <laughs> Okay, cool. And, and uh, you know, what do you do now? And um, Now I don't do anything. I stay home. I stay home and I take care of my kids. That's still something. Yeah, it's something. But it's not, you know, I think it, it's probably the same in a lot of Asian communities that you have a few accepted things that you can do with your life. And they mm. are doctor, lawyer, and engineer. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's changing Maybe. for females? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like at some point there was an expectation for females to be kind of like, you know, like wives and mothers and that for that to be the primary identity, you know, at least for my parents generation, like Mm -hmm. the generation ahead of me, like just maybe less baby boomers, maybe the greatest generation or whatever, like the one, you know, the war generation or whatever. But do you think that's true now? For for my family and, and sort of my branch of it, it was always expected that you would do those things in addition to being a doctor, lawyer, engineer. Wow. <laughs> it was never, not working was not really an option. Mm. Yeah. Okay. And one of the accepted professions. Maybe you could go into business if you became really successful, mm. but it was a little bit sleazy to not have a degree. <laughs> <laughs> do you, and was it always, do you feel like the pressure was always like, from an academic place like because you talk about like business person being kind of like wow yeah you're just whoring yourself out for money yeah it's i mean there's definitely i think a difference (coughs) between iranian and american culture is that um class works a little bit differently so you can be poor but be very well respected in iran if you're very highly educated Um. and that is kind of the primary thing so there's there's sort of a, a trope of the person who's really wealthy, but you still look down on them because they're not educated. Oh. Whereas I think in the U.S., economic status and, and social status are more closely linked. Mm. Um, and in fact, if anything, I feel like here, growing up here, there was this weird counter pressure where you had to be rich and mm. people would look down on you a little bit if you had... Um, you know, a respectable career that you didn't make money. Like you could be a teacher here and be looked down on. And in Iran, it would be the opposite. Wow. Oh, interesting. Yeah. How much do you think like your family holds on to that? Cause I think there's some sense of like, you know, different immigrant cultures, like, and from family to family, there's a certain sense of assimilation to the majority culture, yeah. you know, but how much do you think like, you know, having, you know, grown up your whole life in LA, like, yeah. do you think your family adjusted to this or they stayed, you know, very stolidly, um, we are Iranian, not mm-hmm. Iranian American. Does it make sense? Yeah. Um, definitely everyone, my parents' generation, so they all came here for college. They were already adults when they came. 
they held on to the Iranian values, but they definitely added on some elements. So now you have to hit those those professional benchmarks, plus you also have to do well for yourself. You never you never seem to be able to get a break on anything. You have to <laughs> add in. So now you have to be a economically and professionally successful mother. Yeah. You're not allowed to swap anything out. <laughs> wow. That's uh that's a lot. Yeah. That's a- <laughs> Do you did was that ever like an explicit expectation or was it um implicit? It was both. You know, it's stated explicitly, but it's really enforced implicitly. Oh, so, like you know, people shame will. Or? Yeah, well, people will tell you, like, you know, what are you doing with your life? What's wrong with you? Um, why are you wasting your time doing anything that is not A, B, or C? Wow. But the way it would really be enforced would be little things where, like, people look down on you in the family. Mm. You'll, you'll offer an opinion about something, and people will dismiss your opinion. Because you are not a legitimate person. You're not someone to be taken seriously. Mm-hmm. And it could be about something really unrelated. Like, oh, I, I found this great new band. And they're going, oh, my God. And <laughs> 10 years later, when the band is popular, you're <laughs> yeah, all listening to it. So it's these, you know, those things are how it's really brought home. Interesting. So do you feel like... Do you, do you feel like you're, like your you said you mentioned you have cousins. Yeah. Do you feel the most American of your cousins, like for having a different mindset about what constitutes like happiness and success or do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. I actually don't think so. I think in some ways I'm the most old school because I am, I have these different attitudes and different beliefs, but I'm not entirely willing to let myself be comfortable with them. Okay. I still have that grandma's voice in the back <laughs> of my head, you know, very, very loud. Uh, I think if I were really m- more adapted, I would be more comfortable being who I am. Wow. If that makes sense. No, it does. It does make sense. So how, how I mean, did what we talked about relate? Did Could you relate to that sort of idea of like a delayed adolescence? Yeah. Yeah. And it's actually, it's, I... I think if certain people in my family heard this, they would be very surprised because they see me and my mom as the the wild ones, or the, <laughs> or the black sheep. And you know, when I was a kid, I was allowed to. My mom pulled me out of my English class in ninth grade to be in one of Reza's plays, so I would be at LATC at midnight. Wow, you know, and and yet. Um, you know, I didn't first so much as hold hands with someone until I was 19 or 20. Uh-huh. I was very, very naive and innocent in a lot of those ways. So I could actually told, it's funny, you know, you guys were talking about that um, delayed adolescence and uh-huh. how you said you did the, the TP and that was like the worst thing. <laughs> I was in uh, a theater class and we had to act out one another's scripts and there was somebody passed me a prop bong and I, <laughs> I was so naive i didn't know how to hold it so when i pretended to smoke the bong i put my mouth on the wrong part of it <laughs> and i saw everyone's reactions and i figured it out and then i immediately pretended like i had burned my lips but I was, you know so so much for being the yeah the, the wild That's and crazy amazing. one in the family <laughs> um Sorry, just so I can make the mental connection, though, like Raza's 
or sorry, Raza. Reza's <laughs> Reza's plays were had um content of a sexual nature, right? Which is why yes. the whole holding hands thing was Yes. I mean, I was I was exposed to like I don't know, can I say what yeah. it was? Um there would be like a three story high set and there would be a three story high dildo that would pop out of the floor <laughs> and there were Hundreds of dildos per, per performance. <laughs> Very extremely naked, like more than just not wearing clothes naked, aggressively naked people and <laughs> very... <Aggressively> naked. <laughs> You know, very sophisticated material. And I would just sit there with my eyes like saucers. (laughs) But it was it was clear to me that that was something that was on stage and that was not me or my life. Right. So I, I, yeah, was um, I had much less personal experience than most of my classmates. I would imagine. <laughs> one never really knows <laughs> what goes on yeah. no I, I was always surprised because like they would talk about these statistics in high school and i was like i didn't know any of those people did i yeah and then you're like was everybody it's it's that mindy um the mindy project uh she wrote that book like is everyone yeah. hanging out without me yeah like, yeah what what, what? <laughs> what, are, what are all these teenagers doing with their lives who did that where did that happen i, I wasn't know, at that party right? <laughs> everyone's like oh yeah like i was a totally a drug dealer i was like what <laughs> <laughs> that honor roll student what you know yeah. like just no idea sometimes if you're digging what you've heard so far on this podcast feel free to check out episode 203 called burnout here's a quick sample that's a great analogy. Right. It's like we have an overactive autoimmune system when it comes to our, our mental health, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. It's like we have allergies. We're allergic to <laughs> negative thoughts or right. negative yeah. or weakness. weak thoughts, right. sense of thoughts around weakness. Part of the reason why I was like, oh, we got to have Sarvi is not only because I have so much fun talking to you and um, you always bring something amazing to the party but um you know intellectually but also you know food food wise um (laughs) we should be more explicit about that but also um you know you had posted something on facebook that i found really fascinating because i didn't know this about you because we'd never had any discussions about it but um you know you were talking about you know it took you 20 years to not be depressed and then 15 years to what was it to uh, get out of college oh yeah and it took you um you said eight years with your sewing machine was that what it was to Um, take it out of the closet yeah i i had it and i was actually scared to thread it it looked very intimidating (laughs) once i had the case open well, I wouldn't have even touched it. Like I would have, I would just be like, here, this goes to someone else now. Cause there's a lot of me that just, there's certain things like home ec wise that I yeah. feel like maybe I'm scarred. I tried to sew a pillow once, a, a, a pillow that was a soccer ball. By the way. <laughs> was that middle school? Yeah, it was only middle That's school. That's an advanced shape. Seventh grade. I don't, I think I chose an easier one and I still thought. I did an apple with a worm coming out. <gasps> that sounds awesome. Did it look <laughs> good? Awesome. Yeah. Mine did not. Mine was all lumpy and weird. And then I kept it as long as I could. And then I was like, why do I still have this? Anyways, it's, it was a testament to my failures, you know, as a home ec person, I'll never be the perfect trophy. Yeah. I'll never be the perfect domesticated, you know, I don't know, sewer of soccer balls that I've always wanted to be. Mm. Yeah. That's another secret dream. (laughs) But, um, yeah, I mean, can you talk, talk to me a little bit about that? Cause 
when I think of Sarvi, I don't think of all those things. Actually, I feel like you you uh, attack things with vim and vigor. What inspired that? Which the sewing, the Facebook post, or the Facebook post. You know, uh, it. I had been talking to a friend who was encouraging me to get back and finish my thesis film, which I still haven't done. Is that the Reza film? Yeah, the Reza okay. film. Um, and and it tied in actually also to to wanting to get fit, to get into shape after mm. having a kid. Or let's be honest, well before having a kid. <laughs> um, Blame it on the child. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's she's, much easier that she's way. She's going to be 45 and I'm going to say, like, I'm still trying to lose that baby weight. <laughs> um, but... Uh, you know, I think I think the thing that's sort of interesting about it is that as much as I'm a late bloomer, I was precocious when I was a little kid. I read mm-hmm. very early, I talked early and a lot. And I worked academically above my level a lot. But in some physical ways, I didn't lose my teeth until really late. I didn't have puberty until really late and, you know, adolescence until really late. Um, but that turned into this like longer pattern of just doing everything not on schedule. And I think that if you put my life in fast forward, it would look like a normal life, (laughs) you know, go through kind of these emotional problems and then come out of school and then get a hobby. But it has just taken me so, so long. Um, and, and just certain things had to happen first. Like I had to be able to provide self care on a really, really basic level, Mm -hmm. like being able to, um, put sheets on my bed was something I couldn't do until I was in my twenties almost. <coughs> and it took a lot of work to get there. Mm-hmm. But until that was done, I, I just couldn't, I couldn't take on any other task. And then I was able to go to school and then I was able to have a hobby. But one thing that still hasn't happened is the film. And you know, how do you, how do you fight back against that thing that's telling you, well, if you haven't done it by now, you're not going to do it. Mm-hmm. Be real. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's mm-hmm. what people say all the time is if so-and-so they're all talk, if they were going to do it, they would have done it by now. Mm-hmm. But in my case, that really is not true because if I were going to do it, I would have done it by now mm-hmm. is not true for getting out of being depressed or from graduating from school. For sure. When I left um, Cal State Northridge, when I was 19 or 20, my family thought, oh, this is it. It's over. And they would never have believed that I would graduate. And not only graduate, but, you know, graduate from UCLA Film School, which is yeah. quite, quite prestigious. Yeah. It's what? It's, I know. It's we even... can talk smack about it, but everybody else needs to know. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of the world's best film schools. And it's <laughs> very competitive. It's really competitive. I mean, for the undergrads, it's actually harder than the grad yeah. schools, I think. Um, they take 15 students mm-hmm. from outside of UCLA and 15 from within UCLA. Mm-hmm. And that's it. That's all of the spots. You know, if you look at a program like even USC, they take, I think, 100 per cohort. Oh, yeah. Over four years. And usually it's 30 total mm-hmm. from your from your group. So, yeah. I think, I think when nice. people say that, like, and I hear that too a lot, like, mm-hmm. if you haven't done it by now, then you're not going to or whatever. Mm-hmm. I, think it, I think it just comes from, like, uh, someone's need to figure someone out. Yeah. And if there's someone who doesn't quite fit in the mold or whatever, then like, let me just kind of dismiss their, their dreams or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, right. so that, so that I can fit you into, right? you know, a box of 
just someone who who is never going to do what they say that they're going to do. Yeah. You know, I think that, that a lot of that has to come with someone else's insecurities of the unknown, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you consider the 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 box, what is this box that our families build for us, the the doctor, lawyer, engineer box, it takes an enormous amount of sacrifice to make that happen. Mm-hmm. And if I look among my cousins, it's fascinating. There are these pairs of siblings where one is a doctor and one is a lawyer and one is happy and one is not. (laughs) You know, one put hundreds of thousands of dollars of the family's money, endless years of their time into something that did not make them happy and it didn't pan out. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to keep that system going, you need a huge amount of pressure from the outside to keep it, to keep that shape. Right. 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 So if somebody comes along and they're not doing that, it's a threat. Right. Right. It's an existential threat to, to everything. Right. No, I, I, I totally agree. I think because when we talk about the schedule, right, or the expectations to be doctor, lawyer, engineer, we start to break that down. It's like, whose expectations are these? Whose mm-hmm. schedule is this? And, you know, like I had to really talk to myself about things I wouldn't do that other people consider adults should be doing. Which is getting a mortgage, yeah. <laughs> you know, getting getting married, having kids, you know, like, and and it was more of a personal conversation than like, because it's easy also to go, well, even though this person has kids, like, I have two degrees. Do you know right. what I'm saying? That that yeah. comparison game, that's hard to disengage from, and then kind of have a per- yeah that personal conversation with yourself. Well, like I told myself, like, look. I don't think you're ever going to have a mortgage. I think you can concentrate on other things and you'll still be happy, you know? And, and, and I actually had a a more explicit conversation like that with my peers and they had nothing to say because they had, I think all chosen that specific path. And I was like, Ooh, uh, like church people. Oh, okay. Like in a wedding. Mm, Okay. And you know how, well, I know how, or I at least think I know how you feel about certain weddings when we go back and talk to like either Arcadia people or church people right. who have taken specific paths, mm-hmm. you know, like where they, they had milestones and they hit all their milestones, yeah. you know? And I know from an intellectual standpoint that that doesn't necessarily necessitate happiness, mm-hmm. but Facebook's not going to tell you that. Right. <laughs> right. You know, and, well, lots of people on Facebook are going to tell you that. <laughs> yeah. And, and actually, you know, like I have friends who are very honest. So many Ken Tankers, Facebook people mm-hmm. <laughs> from all different <laughs> from all different angles yeah i uh, but like very yeah i mean like i have like a few friends who like who are honest about like how hard like how much work marriage is and how much work it is to have kids and i mean like because i think like the thing about having kids can sometimes be like like um oh you know look at look at my you know like my child who's so much work aren't they adorable you know you're like yeah yeah. but that's yeah so like for me it's kind of like okay well what are what are those things that are milestones for me like personal milestones and like recognizing and trying to separate that stuff or or know when i want that thing for myself and when to go get that you know like you know and not because i'm on someone else's timeline but i I think that's extremely hard i were you doing that same kind of work for yourself, that kind of, you talked about Mm self-care and you talked a little bit, um, about just, you know, like wanting to put sheets on your bed and that basic thing. Did you have to have 
those explicit kind of internal conversations or did you have um, outside help? Like, can, can you talk me through that a little yeah. bit? Um, my mom is a, is a bit of a hippie or new agey inclined person, which has been kind of an interesting pull in the opposite direction of everything that is Iranian. But, um, so she had me in therapy when I was six or so around the time my parents were not actually divorced, but it was all falling apart. Um, and I was showing signs of depression and I had kind of been in therapy for the rest of my life up until, um, when I was 19 or so, when things were so bad that I knew I'm going to end up actually fulfilling all of those horrible prophecies. I'm going to become, um, homeless, suicidal drug addict if, if something doesn't change. And I fortunately found at that time an amazing shrink who really kind of was willing to do all of that work with me. Wow. And four years and I don't know how many dollars later, thanks mom <laughs> and dad for, 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 for subscribing to the theory that if you, if you broke it, you bought it, <laughs> they, they, at least, they at least paid to have it all kind of put back together. Sure. Um, I, it, it, it's funny cause I was, I was telling a friend, um, earlier that I remember this specific point in therapy where I, I broke my shrink. She, she said, you know, I just, I can't do this anymore. You've totally exhausted me. I have no more arguments. Um, I give up <laughs> and it was a light bulb. I was like, Oh crap. I better, <laughs> I better turn this around. What do you point, think that was like, you just, um, you know, I, I, I know, I know what it was. I'm, I'm bright and verbal and really energetic. And uh. I put all of those abilities into being depressed. Uh-huh. Oh. And, um, and I needed to, to take it as far as it could go. Uh-huh. And once I got there and I saw that it, it shocked me. And I think that was when I realized like, okay, this, this can't go on. Something has to change. And I wish I could say, I knew what I did differently or thought differently. And I don't, but just something inside changed. Wow. And then I started turning that energy in another way. And I, like I say, I, I wish I knew consciously how to make that kind of shift, but I don't, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, but what I do know, which is great is that that shift does happen. Mm-hmm. And it's something that in me, if it hasn't happened for 20 years, that, that doesn't mean it's never going to happen. Mm-hmm. It still can happen yeah. or going back to school. I would take a class here and there at community college, how is this ever going to add up? How is this ever, ever going to turn into a degree? There's just no way. Mm-hmm. The math does not work. It did. Mm-hmm. It somehow did, you know. And and so now I know. That's why I was making my joke about, like, you see how fast I'm getting. First it took me 20 years to do something. Then it took 15. Then it took eight. <laughs> oh, the next thing I try, it'll only take me four years. <laughs> hey, <laughs> the way yeah. this is going. So, Yeah. Ten years from now, I'm going to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she turned all her energies into bodybuilding. Into bodybuilding. <laughs> into weightlifting. That's, that's my next thing. She just starts with your child, right? Yes. There you go. <laughs> She'll keep getting heavier over the next four years, that's for sure. I really, I, I really love that perspective. And I really love that your ability to look back and kind of like, you know understand your own timeline, you know, and I think that that's really cool. 
I think that I'm a little bit like that too. I think that I move a little slowly. Like I remember talking to um, our friend Nini who was just on the podcast and I forgot what it was we were talking about. If we were talking about careers or if we were talking about relationships or whatever. And then I was just, you know, wailing about, I don't think it's ever going to happen and this and this and that. And she was like, it will. She's like, I know that it will. She's like, you're just going to take a little longer. And I always, that always kind of like helped me, you know? Um, I got that from my grandfather. Yeah. My grandfather was the one person who, when everything seemed to be going wrong, said, you know, I'm not really worried about her. Mm -hmm. She's, I know, I know my seven is, she's fine. (laughs) It's just going to take a while. Yeah. Wow. I think that's so nice to, to be given that sort of time and understanding. Yeah. And if someone else can give that to you, then you can give that to yourself too. Yeah. You know, what about you, Vanessa? Are you, are you, I'm feeling all the feeling feels right so. now. <laughs> I'm just like blown away. I mean, yeah, like, I mean, cause that's, that's, it's, it's kind of beautiful. Cause like, you know, like even in holding space and giving people that moment, you know, like we're talking about like years and so much of the way that we want to operate, like we want immediacy because there's always an urgency for something to happen and to be mm. something and to do mm. something. And especially in production, yeah. like I am guilty of being one of those people who like, well, that person like, especially in film school in a place where I think, you know, I just felt like I wasn't as talented as everybody. I was like, mm. well, at least I finished my thesis or yeah. at least I did this. And like, I had to like say those things so that I could feel like I measured up. To a lot of those people, you know, who I thought were just like so much more sensitive filmmakers and so much more like better writers and more talented than me. And, you know, like I'm really, you know, happy to have, you know, like the job that I have and that, you know, that I am a part of a system that every week we can put out, you know, new content, you know. But at the same time, just everybody has to take their own paths and for some reason i can see that with some people like the people that i love like oh well they're they're gonna get there eventually they're gonna do that thing that they said they were gonna do like i think you're gonna make your reza film absolutely and i believe in you sorry but like for other people it's just kind of like i wanted to to say like well that person decided to you know take a certain path that will mean that they'll never be a filmmaker again which is completely unfair you know and hearing it from you guys is kind of like like a wake-up call for me mm-hmm. you know like and, and part of me is like well how can i how can i believe in somebody else now you know but also <laughs> like yeah like that idea of like believing in somebody else like then can translate into for myself like how how can i believe that you know there's there's parts of me that that have are a little more late blooming that I can keep working on. And that won't like, who knows? Maybe I will get that mortgage, <laughs> you know, maybe I will come out from under this crushing student loan debt, you know, like uh, who's to say, who's to say. And I think it's, it's too often that those, those voices, you know, in particular, um, you know, like we let those kind of voices in. Do you, do you feel like you mentioned your, grandmother's voice my grandmother your, oh no well you oh, mentioned oh, oh, your, yeah but right. do you see them in conflict with each other these this she's you said she's more traditional and things yeah. like that and, and but your grandfather is the one who is kind of the voice that you actually ended up listening to yeah well you know it's actually kind of interesting because my grandmother 
has become um, not senile, but what's it? Is it Alzheimer's or dementia? It's or? dementia. Okay. So she, so she has dementia and it, she's had a complete personality change, which what? is fascinating. You know, so many of these things that are really painful and are a kind of torture when you're young, if you just live long enough, <laughs> you start to see that so-and-so who did everything by the book, it didn't actually work out. Yeah. And, and yet it's also okay that it didn't work out. Yeah. So-and-so um. wound up with, you know, a husband who was not what husbands are expected to be in our family but is a really nice guy and is now happy you know you you start to see it from your own set of rules and you just kind of have to live long enough which is the problem with depression is Uh you might not you know you might pull out of life before you have a chance to see what really does happen at the end bothers me when I hear about it especially like it doesn't come up as much now but maybe like 10 5 10 years ago um the whole thing about like people who are less popular like in oh, middle school or high mm-hmm. school saying like making fun of the more people more popular people having peaked yeah mm-hmm. like oh that person peaked in high school mm-hmm. or that person peaked or in college or whatever mm-hmm. and it's like okay you're saying that when we're age 28, do you know how much more <laughs> life we all have to live? Yeah. yeah. Like, when yeah. are you going to peak? Yeah. How many peaks are you going to have? Right. Is it so important to have a peak and that be what everyone else in the world sees? Is it not as important to, you know, have like low points in your life too? I mean, I, like I said, I don't hear that as much now because I think the age that we are, people are less likely to say ignorant things like that, Mm -hmm. but it still comes up so often and in so many different places, whether it's like, you know, acquaintances or whatever on Facebook or even on television, you know, like that phrase Mm -hmm. comes out a lot of like, oh, that person peaked in high school. And it's like, life is long, bro. Like there is a lot of life to live and it is constantly, you know, they're constantly experiencing ups and downs and you just have to experience you know, respect the other person's life for right. what they are. You Is know? this the moment where we can bring Britney Spears into the conversation? <laughs> sure, go ahead. Yeah. No, Britney Spears, that's it. No, no, <laughs> but like literally, like she's having this second <coughs> life with her Vegas show, you know, like, like she's, you know, like the shows are sold out, you know, like she looks really good. She's like, I saw on my wonderful, thank you, what's trending Facebook uh, feed. <laughs> you know, like Britney's, uh, showing off her toned abs. I'm like, okay, cool. Like she's, she's kind of back in the game now, like in terms of like Being the image game. Yeah. But which is kind of like sad. And how old is she? She's is she 30, even 30? mid thirties, maybe Probably. 33, 34. That's I don't, I don't know. To me. Yeah. And, and, but then like, everybody's like, ah, she peaked, you know? And like, yeah, yeah you're talking about like multiple peaks. You're talking about yeah. chances and, um, you know, it's like, everybody's playing this like the the joneses right like everyone wants to like one up each other and talking about that but i'm glad you brought that up because i think in the undercurrent of the underdog and these revenge of the nerds movies it's like uh like we were talking about um one of those the 
big themes in movies is, oh, if you didn't follow your heart, if you settled for something, mm-hmm. then you're you're bound to be unhappy. And that's what this mm-hmm. like a lot of these like movies like um, the Secret Life of Walter Mitty. Mm-hmm. Like that's a, the idea. He had this like great internal life where he wanted to do things and he just never had mm-hmm. the courage to do it. Right. Mm-hmm. And then I get it. Like you should have the courage to, you know, like say yes to things that maybe you wouldn't normally say yes to. Um, and, but at the same time, it's like, oh, well, will saying yes to everything automatically bring you happiness. No, not necessarily. Mm-hmm. And then I think in the same way, like, sorry, it's not in the same way, but it's kind of the same way. Like, saying that like well they peaked early they you know like and then playing that comparison game and then saying like you know what when i'm this age you know and i get this kind of money and you know then then they'll see you know yeah. like and but you're still playing by somebody else's game somebody else's rules like yeah. this once i exceed this person's expectations then i'm happy like yeah. some what i used to do in school and maybe still do in some ways is um, I'll pick someone like a nemesis. I'll pick someone to like, I'll find someone like this happened a lot in undergrad like, in order for me to do well in a class. Like I'd have to pick someone who I thought was like a teacher's pet and just surpass them. Wow. Yeah. Cause I like, never knew that this dark scheming. Side oh yeah. I'm like, well, I think April knows I'm like super competitive, but like there's, there's something inside of me where I'm like, I'm going to take that person down. <laughs> You know, and make them look stupid. Sometimes it was a professor. Wow. If I could make them look like an idiot, then I would do it. <laughs> this, this is a huge this revelation. Is, this is recorded, I, I just realized. <laughs> I'm, should I take it all back? I take the fifth. No, no. But I, I mean, I, I try not to do it as much, but I think there's something. And when, what aspect of your life are you doing that still? And do you catch yourself or do you just like do it purposefully or i think i think in the emotional intelligence game because i don't have very much other game in other places <laughs> let's be real who's your who you're every day just trying to be more emotionally <laughs> intelligent then how do you like how do you measure that vanessa yeah i don't know i well i think i, I i'm in danger of doing that with like therapists sometimes mm-hmm. yeah you know? I mean, I can see that, you know, just like Sarvi, you're intelligent, you're um, energetic, you're all those things, and you want to outwit somebody at their own game. Yeah, it's it's to be the best at something and to at least in that moment. And then I like, I don't know if it's just a validation thing. I feel like well, I think it also has to do with like that. a self-preservation thing. You know, no one can get to you. You're too smart to let somebody get to you. Not okay. We're getting a little too therapy, but um, <laughs> but anyways, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, we. Well, you didn't know. You knew this, right? I'm, I'm sure you've mentioned it before. I didn't think that it was something that was still happening. Well, I think it usually has to do with authority, like, mm-hmm. and sometimes it does with peers for mm-hmm. sure. Like, there's definitely like a, you know, um. One of our friends talked about, like, I, f- I feel like this is very similar, but um, this person said that um, he or she finds what that person needs mm-hmm. and then tries to fill that need in friendships. Okay. And and in, in a separate, and that's that to me is an emotional intelligence game. Mm-hmm. Is like, like mm-hmm. trying to figure out right. how to serve that person before they even know that they need it. And it doesn't have necessarily to do anything with being a friend, Mm -hmm. 
but more like it's just another like vain thing. Mm-hmm. Like it can also thing. be defensive if you think about it. If you're so focused on that person and their then needs, you don't have to think you're, about... you're not being your authentic self. Mm-hmm. You're not ever asking because if you ask someone for something, then you become indebted to them on some level or there's an exchange. And by always giving, you're protecting yourself. Well, you know, I don't know them anything. I've given to them and mm-hmm. I've kept myself and my own needs locked away safely. Yeah. There, there's safer. so much effort we all put into feeling safe mm-hmm. and protected. And like we have some ounce of control yeah. over ourselves and how others, other people perceive us, I think. Yeah. I think that that is, speaking of, I was talking to... Um, someone and Vanessa about True Detective. Have you ever watched it? No. <laughs> so the Matthew McConaughey character is like this oh, nihilist. Yes, yes, yes. He's like super nihilistic and all that stuff. And like a, a large chunk of the show is him philosophizing. And but he's obviously a very broken man, you know, yeah. that's where a lot of his. But I, I was like, oh my gosh, he's saying everything I believe in. And <laughs> Every single thing he says, I completely 100% believe in. That's when I realized, I don't think I'm necessarily a nihilist, but I do think that, as he says in the show, quoting True Detective now, Ooh. that he's a realist. You know, that's how yeah. I see myself. Yeah. Whereas other people might see my see me as being a pessimist or cynic or whatever. Um, but do you look into a very small mirror when you do it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think that's what makes it really special. Yes. That is what I do. It was a really small mirror. It was. So, um, yeah, I don't know. We, don't, we all just do things to protect ourselves. And those things can seem like they're very generous things. Mm. But, you know, like you said, Vanessa, with this person... You know, it could just be manipulative. It could just be self-preservation. Mm-hmm. You know, something very far away from what you might consider friendship. Attention. Yeah. 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 And isn't it ironic that that's that's the thing that you think makes you feel safe, but you're never really safe unless you're with someone that you know you can trust. Mm-hmm. You don't find out if you can trust them unless you take a risk, right? Right. Of opening up. That is the terribleness of vulnerability, and that's why I don't <laughs> want it in my life. <laughs> No, but, but without <laughs> but without taking that, then you're then you're never really safe. You're always going to have to maintain your defense, mm-hmm. and it's so draining to always have to be up, mm. right? To have your wall up. That's yeah. a great thing about like my boyfriend slash fiance. Like he knows all my terribleness, you know, and like and he just makes me laugh when he calls me out on it, and he's just like, "You are." the most selfish, <laughs> lazy person in the entire world. And he's like, you know, obviously I am those things and I show those things to him, yeah. but he doesn't like hold it against me, but he sees it, you know, and he loves me anyway. And I think yeah. that that is so important, like to trust someone to see those parts of you. And then, and then they, you know, they are, they're with you anyway. Yeah. You know, um, I have a question. So you have a daughter, a young yes. daughter, and, um, you know, you've done so much work from almost what her age now, when you were a child, um, you know, self-work and understanding and kind of breaking down your defenses and, and how, how do you, from everything you learned, how do you, how does that manifest itself in raising your daughter? That's a really interesting question. Yay! <laughs> That's a very good question. You know, I 
I have this weird problem with parenting her, which is I know how to fix the problems from my own childhood, but she is really happy. (laughs) Wow. I have a kid who I kind of can't relate to in a lot of ways because her parents are nice and they're patient. They're together. She lives in a nice house. She goes to a good school. She has a very routine. She's like got a really, really good life. And I kind of don't know how to parent that because <laughs> I have wow. no experience with that. This is my first time with any of that. And so I think I sometimes overparent. So I go in there to, to solve a problem, which turns out never to have existed. Like, you know, oh, she's saying she has no friends. I have to set up some play dates and do this and do that. And then you go and you see her and you realize, no, she's just, that's just a thing that kids say. She didn't mean it. It's not true. (laughs) It was something she felt like saying that day. And in fact, there are a lot of kids who are seeking her out to be friends with her Mm. and she's just not in the mood that day. Uh (sighs) So it's weird. It's, it's strange. And it's, you know, I think something that I did not expect is how much it, um, it retroactively heals you to, to give a certain kind of love to a child that you didn't experience Mm -hmm. and to give a kid a good life is not only good for that kid, but it not completely, but it does kind of, it kind of patches you up. Mm -hmm. It's, it's very interesting. And that's not something I expected. Actually, a friend articulated that. She said that she had a, a really easy kid who filled in a lot of the holes from her own life. And I've really experienced that. Wow. Interesting. Do you see parts of you or your husband in her? Like personality wise? I do see certain, certain things, especially I think the age that she is now is the age when, um, like my life really crumbled. Mm -hmm. And, and that is really fascinating because I remember being this specific age extremely clearly. Mm -hmm. I remember like almost on a day to day basis, my life really, really, really in a lot of detail. Um, and I do, I see, I see, I see things, but you know, I, I'm not sure how much of it is really me and how much of it is just the age, how much of it is just being a kid. Cause I have no other children. I have no point of comparison, mm-hmm. but phrases she'll use or <laughs> an expression on her face or a gesture of her body. And I'll immediately go back and remember <laughs> being that age and, and walking that way, you know, making certain expressions, moving my mouth in a certain way. It's like, it's so detailed and specific. But, you know, the funny thing is I really wanted a child from the time I was in my like mid twenties mm-hmm. and I didn't have one until I was in my mid thirties. So I, by the time I had a kid, I would not really have cared if she was biologically mine or not. It really would have made no difference to me. Mm-hmm. I just really wanted to have a child. And, and I'm curious sometimes, like, are these things that I'm seeing because of the the physical relationship or is it, is it just that attention that you bring to bear when you're a parent, Mm. you see someone so completely with a a level of attention that you just, even if you try to bring that to bear on your spouse, you can't, it just doesn't, it doesn't come out of you in the same way. Mm -hmm. Whereas when it's your kid, my God, you really, really see them. Mm -hmm. 
It's an interesting experience. I recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's. I mean, I I love the way that you put that earlier statement about how those things can be healing for you to <coughs> to lend that same amount of uh, care to you know this 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 little human being right that you might not necessarily have had for yourself and it's it's um it's a very direct way of you know that phrase like be the you that you wanted your younger self to be yeah or that you felt like your younger self needed yeah and you know in some ways i feel like you know when i don't know if it's related but the immigrant experience of like wanting something better for your children yeah you know just always trying to keep helping them, you know, with the acknowledgement that, you know, everybody can only do the best that they can with the resources that they have, you know? Well, it definitely also goes back to coming out of depression. One of the things like in terms of a technique that I remember was I, I didn't love myself enough to take care of myself, but I still loved other people. I still loved my friends. Right. And so I would have to do it in this really weird artificial way and go kind of almost out of my body and say, if this were my best friend, Tanya, would I ever let her go all day without having a meal? Would I ever let her go a week without having a shower? And I would, I would care for myself as though I were another person. And that would be the only way that I could really make it happen. But you still get a benefit from the feeling of a hot shower or the feeling of a good meal. And, you know, instead of the feeling of crappy junk food or, or whatever pain you're, you're willing to tolerate for yourself for a long time, Mm -hmm. but you would never let that happen to a friend. You Mm -hmm. just, you couldn't bear it. Mm -hmm. Um, and with a kid, it's interesting. You, you, it's the same technique. It's like, I'm really tired. I have not slept all night this kid has had me up all night i am exhausted and i want to scream at her just listen to me (laughs) um but you don't you don't you know i was hit when i was a kid i just can't i can't i can't hit my kid Mm -hmm. uh there are certain specific phrases i remember that my parents would use or my father really would use when i was little and i was doing violin and when she's doing her violin practice, I'll get cold sweats because I remember <laughs> that experience. And what comes out of my mouth is, let's play a game. I can think of a way to make this fun. What would make it fun for us? Mm. And it's just a whole different experience that comes from, you know, stepping out and caring for another person. And I think that's what's healing too, is that that habit carries on. And so, you know, I'll be sitting somewhere saying, oh my God, I haven't eaten all day. Well... If it were my daughter, what would I do? Mm-hmm. And if you can care for yourself in that way, it's like, it makes it just much easier. There's a well of motivation there to care for that person that is not available for yourself. I totally identify that with that. Sorry, with that. Mm-hmm. It's just like, you know, like the whole idea of doing the documentary was to be brave for other people, mm-hmm. you know, and, mm-hmm. and being brave and, and strong and caring for other people so, so easy. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, because you, the love for that other person is, is, is much stronger than like the desire to help yourself. And I'm wondering if the goal eventually is to just be like, well, what do I need for myself right now? Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. like to transfer that, like, you know, like instead of 
just how would I help Tanya or how would yeah. I help my daughter? Like, is the eventual goal to say, do you know what I'm saying? To acknowledge yeah. yourself as a person worthy of getting that care. Does that make sense? I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I'm asking because yeah. I'm, I'm just like, if it works, right? If this thing of yeah. trying to, you know, like remove yourself and then see yourself as someone worthy of care, if that's working, mm-hmm. do you keep doing that? Or if eventually you have to get to another, like get to another place with that, like whatever that might be. Well, you know, that's the whole thing about being a late bloomer. I don't think you have an answer to that until you're a hundred. Oh, okay. <laughs> then you'll know like, Oh yeah. There we go. Yeah. I can't wait till I'm 90. Can I, can I ask you a question? No. Cause I'm curious. I'm curious about how your faith, your religious beliefs play into it. Is that a voice for you that says, I'm not worried about you. You're going to be okay. I know you and I know you're okay. Yeah, actually it does. Um, it like, or do you ever ask yourself, like, <coughs> how would my deity want me to treat myself? Yeah, I, I think that's that's a wonderful question. And I think it's that's a super weird way to phrase it. Deity. I don't know what you call no, it. No, yeah. No, I mean, like, cause, you know, because I'm a Christian, like specifically God or Jesus, mm-hmm. like, okay. you know, like those those are supposed to be the voices and to let the voice in. So the thing is, and that I love about this question, too, is like that applies is there's a certain amount of pride that wants to block out, you know, that voice because then you have to accept care and you're like, well, I'd rather be, you know, alone and sad about something than like allow myself to feel completely loved or completely accepted by someone who's much greater than me, you know, who, who's, who's always has my best interest in mind. You know, like they, they don't, manifest themselves as everything I want, right? Because as a kid, you want all these things, Mm -hmm. but your parent kind of knows like, well, no, you can't play on the train tracks today because there's a lot of trains going on, you know, but I want to play on the tracks, you know? (laughs) So that's, that's my inner child, by the way. They, they, they talk like this. You were a thrill-seeking child. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Wanting to play on the train tracks. Also train tracks. Where am I? (laughs) Pittsburgh? I don't know. Whatever. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that's one of those things that faith provides specifically for me, like, uh, you know, my view of God is not just a disciplinarian or just, you know, like there's the aspects of like that, that grace and love, um, also with kind of like, uh, the, the obedience and submission to whatever he wants for me kind of aspect. And so, so, so it's, it's, it's like one of those things where it's hard because it's, it's a daily it's a daily thing that you have to sign up for, you know, just like if you're, you're trying to do self care, like you have to daily go, all right. Um, like I have a, a quote in my bathroom. I, I think you might've seen it. It's like, what's your job today? Yeah. And your only job is to know that God loves you. Mm. And then things proceed from there. Mm. And if you sign up for it, right. You know, like then you can exist in a world where you're a realist, but the reality is that um, you have a God who's sovereign and who cares for you and, um, you know, wants, you know, justice in the world. Because that's a big thing for me is yeah. like, there's no justice in this world, but there is a God who wants justice in the world <coughs> or, you know, whatever it is. And then, and then, um, but if you don't sign up for it that day and you feel terrible, 
it's not like it changes him. Mm. Do you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Like yeah. for, for yeah. people, like I feel like there's a lot of circumstantial things where like I might not sign up to stop comparing myself to that other person or stop like stop like being in the competitive emotional intelligence game with someone. Right. And 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 that affects that person. But that when I mess up or when you know like then but that's not messing up my relationship you know, with my God and my faith, my deity, (laughs) you know? So I I think that's a, that's a really cool question. And I think, you know, I wish, I mean, obviously like as someone who has faith, like I wish I could share that with more people or even just live it out in a way that's like more, uh, plain, you know, that's attractive to people, Mm -hmm. you know, cause, cause that, that, that's, that's what a lot of people are seeking. Right. It's like Mm -hmm. just, you know, like overall acceptance, like what you talked about, like someone knowing you completely is even how terrible you might be. And then saying, well, we're cool. I love that. I love all of, all of this, all of that, you know, (laughs) and every day you feel that. And, but then it's like that person can give it, but you also have to accept it. So that's where it gets very tricky. Cause I, I remember certain specific instances, like, you know, when I was, when I was younger and growing up, the, the most difficult person for me was my father, who was very um, aggressive uh, and stern person, um, who would say things like, you would think that there would be some level of self-awareness, but it was just amazing. Like He would say, you know, my mother said this to me when I was young, and now I'm saying it to you. Um, if you were my eye and you bothered me, I would rip you out and crush you under my foot, much less would I ever let you, who are not any part of me, bother me. And I mean, to, to say something that evil and to preface it with, like, I got it from my mom and now I'm giving it to you, you would think that there would be a moment where you connect that and you say, oh, maybe that's why I'm so screwed up. <laughs> but it was, it was totally said with no awareness of, like, what am I really saying? So to have that person turn around and at some point say something kind and loving, that's when I would start crying. When I was an adult, I never cried anymore in front of my dad, no matter how nasty he would be. But one time when he would say something gentle, that's when it would like, I would lose it and go, oh my God, what the hell is going on? (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm, I'm, I'm the hell out of here. (laughs) And, you know, I'm an atheist, so I don't have the the religious experience of it, but I, but I hear with certain people who, and it often tends to be people who are actually kind of private about their faith. Like this is something that they are going through on a, in a deep way inside themselves. It's not necessarily like part of, Hey, come, come hear this good word that I have to say to you. But it was like, you know, this is my, my inner experience of it. Something similar where it's like the moments for them that are hard are actually the moments when it's about receiving grace or receiving love and receiving kindness. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of a fascinating mechanism. Yeah. Well, I think definitely not, not completely uh, analogous, <coughs> but like if you grow up thinking that, well, God only loves you if you do these things, yeah. you know, that list of yeah. things, it's like, it's hard. Like why would anybody sign up for that? You know? And so to, to, and I think that's a huge, like Ken talks about it, like the grace leak. It's like, it's like if you then, 
you know, like try to change your understanding of God. It's absolutely difficult to understand what grace means because you're like, wait, wait, wait. I don't have to earn anything. Wait, yeah. I don't have to do this. Wait, no, no, there has to be a catch. There has to be a catch. And there isn't. That's it. It's just it. Yeah. All you have to do is accept it. And you're like, oh, oh, I, I see. I see. <laughs> uh, acceptance means this and this. And you're like, no, 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 just come as you are. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, this has been a really fruitful discussion. I like that it started with late bloomers, but I mean, like. And it ended with God. It did end with we God. Went a, we went a long way. My secret Christian <laughs> agenda has been pushed. I actually paid Sarvi to say all those things, so I could say all those things. So I know I'm such can... a I'm such a bad atheist. And I'm bringing religion to it every chance I get. So you're not agnostic then? No. Okay. All right. No, I'm 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 pretty sure what I think. <laughs> okay. That's no, great. you know what? To be like technically, I'm an agnostic on paper according to the actual definition but it's truer to what i feel inside okay you know actually speaking of being a late bloomer and religion when i was around 14 or 15 i tried really hard to become religious me too what what kind of religion i tried um, mostly christianity i i prayed to a sort of you know like a generic judeo-christian god okay <laughs> um like are you there intensely. god it's me sorry yeah the kroger like, of, like please the please please give me any indication that there's something else mm. or please let me feel something that's beyond myself and i tried to keep it kind of vague to leave it open for whoever might be answering um i never heard anything and i never and i don't mean to hurt anything like you know, a flaming something on the wall, but like, I, I just never felt a presence or everything that people who say they believe in God, who come at it in a way that is easier for me to hear where it's mm. not like really, um, like supernatural beings, but it's just like some, some inner voice. Like I just never, it was never there for me. So beyond, you know, the sort of more intellectual aspect of it, which didn't click for me. Okay. But I know that it's very important to some people and I respect that <laughs> yeah. enormously where I, I see this transformative effect it has on people's lives and I have a huge amount of respect for that. <laughs> nice caveat. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, I lean away from my fruit. <laughs> <laughs> um, did you, did you want to add to that? Uh, if you God, know, did, God, no, no, just like you're talking about how you had come into religion and when you were 14 oh i see yeah because that was the round because i'm you know technically catholic so that's the time of confirmation is to go to uh catechism somebody's house and talk about god once a Mm. week for an hour and maybe watch an illicit nc-17 movie here and there (laughs) is that an official part of the catechism (laughs) unofficial or is that that a a perk (laughs) it's a perk (laughs) to be in a rumpus room and watch kids when you're 15 years old a rumpus room why um i did i I didn't know that's what you had to sign up for um well uh sorry this has been a super pleasure um yeah, I don't know. There's so much. I, I feel like I know. I feel like we could talk for like three more hours. Um, I, I think that just means we should have her back soon, right? Yes, absolutely. Because I, I think there's a lot more to unpack, and I'll do Persian food next time. Yeah. Mm. Oh, she's coming to our podluck. Woo! Mm. We're just gonna get a sign up list started. <laughs> but also, like, uh, you know, like I think in two years, 
or four years, we're going to see something different from Sarvi, you know? You're going to see an incredible amount of muscles. It's just going to be <laughs> like, Sarvi, you weigh 280 pounds, <laughs> pure steel. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe not. I, I suspect that's one of those projects where, you know, everything else got easier as I got older. I think becoming super ripped might be harder as I get older. <laughs> <laughs> I might buck the trend. <laughs> just just say no to, to physics and biology. Yes. A lots of protein powder. And just Mess sheer milk. determination. Yeah. <laughs> if you think about it, everything that I love to do involves sitting and not moving and eating. <laughs> so I, I think it's going to be an uphill climb. See, this is why I knew she would do well with us because that's exactly what we do (laughs) every time we're together um sorry thank you again i i really appreciate all the things that we've talked about it was a nice little appetizer for a future podcast episode (laughs) oh yeah definitely cool thank Thank you you. sorry thank you bye ash next time (laughs) ash I've got sugar in my mouth. I'm ready to go.